This morning we're in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, if you want to make your way there. We got to study a little bit a Wednesday night in the book of Joshua. And, and actually what we did is we looked at the history of Joshua from the first mention of his name and, and to the point of Joshua chapter 1. And, and uh, I told Julie that I, I did learn something along the way. And you don't have to yell it out loud, but this is a biblical quiz for you. Why did the Israelites wander for 40 years in the desert? Now, we know why they had to, but why 40 years? I've always related that to segments of Moses' life. 40 years as an Egyptian adopted son and then 40 years out in the desert discovering who he was and then 40 years leading the Israelites. That's the way I've always compartmentalized. But I came across a verse as I was preparing for Wednesday night where God told them the reason why they were doing this for 40 years. And it was one year for every day the spy spent in the promised land spying it out and then they rebelled against god and those 10 led the uh the entire uh, population to rebel against god so that was the punishment 40 years one year for every day they were in the promised land scouting it out so as we look at Joshua, this is the series is beginning well, or the church beginning well, and we're using the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 3, and Joshua chapter 4 over these three weeks period of time. Scotty Tarvin will be sharing with us next Sunday, and then Kevin Brooks the following Sunday. I'm looking forward to what God is going to be speaking through these men of God as we study God's word together. Bottom line, as we kind of sum up everything we talked about last Sunday night, that uh, the Beginning Well team served well for the past 10 months in, in praying and, and studying and, and resolving and pulling together information and, and just seeking where God is leading us. And the things that they came uh, to the end and, and put on paper were, were things that we know that we need to be part of. Gone are the days where First Baptist Church is the, the beacon in a town where someone moves into a town and they just look for First Baptist Church. Many in our communities today do not know where we are located. We need to get outside of the church, not just so that they know their location, but so that we can share the gospel with them, that they would know Jesus and then find a place to worship the King of Kings and be discipled. Now, whether or not that adds numbers here is not our concern. We share Jesus. That is the concern. How do we reach the community? How do we reach those who, who don't see uh, God's way as a priority or attending worship and being discipled as a priority? How do we reach those who do not speak our language? This past Wednesday night, we, we got to cross some barriers as we invited the community out for the, the bash, that getting back to school for our children's ministry. And, and we had multiple languages out here that we were allowed to, to deal with and, and communicate with and discover what God is doing in their lives. And that was just one small part. 
There's so much more that we can do to connect to our culture where God has placed us. And that's going to be our motivation and it's going to be our drive from here forward. How do we get outside the walls and how do we share the gospel with them effectively? So beginning with a promise is the title of of my message today from Joshua chapter 1. And let me just give you a brief overview about Joshua. Some things that you may have forgotten, some things that would be a, a good reminder or some things that might be new. The first thing that I would say about Joshua that we might not always remember is Joshua was a slave in Egypt. He experienced the supernatural deliverance of God, grew up in slavery, and cried out to God along with all the people of God to be delivered, and they experienced God and the power of God in a miraculous way. He walked the the same steps as the Israelites. He walked through the, the sea when it was parted. He saw the pillar of fire. He saw the pillar of smoke. He saw how God provided water and how God provided manna. He experienced all of these things along with the Israelites. His first mention is in Exodus chapter 17. And this is where Moses identified him as a personal assistant, a a trusted assistant. And he said, I want you to choose some trusted men to fight Amalek. And that's what he did. In Exodus 24, Joshua ascended Mount Sinai with Moses and witnessed the glory of God on the top of Mount Sinai. Now, this is when Moses was going up to receive the Ten Commandments. But before he went all the way to the top, he and Joshua resided there on the side of the mountain. And they could see the the entire mountain covered in a cloud. They saw the glory of God that looked like fire from the top of the mountain. He got to witness this. He descended with Moses and the Ten Commandments, and he witnessed the Israelites worshiping a golden calf in Exodus 32. Can't imagine how disheartening this must have been for Joshua who's gone through all this journey with God and see the power of God and the deliverance of God, having seen the glory of God, and the, the people at the bottom of the mountain could see the glory of God. And even though they saw the glory of God, they grew impatient, they created their own God, and they gave that calf credit for delivering them from slavery. Joshua remained at the tent of meeting where Moses met with God face to face. In Exodus 33, Joshua and Caleb were among the 12 spies who were sent into the promised land for 40 days to spy it out, really to make sure that God said was true. And they did discover that very thing in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the 10 who trusted God's word and says, God said it's ours and we must go. The other 10 said, no, 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 we can't. And they convinced the other uh, population to rebel against God there. As a result, all of Israel spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert And in that 40-year period of time is when we see those who, the men who were 20 years old and older, uh, that was part of that rebellion, died off. 
The next thing that we see in Numbers chapter 27 is God chose Joshua to succeed Moses in leading the people to the promised land. You remember that Moses stepped out in rebellion himself as he spoke to his people. And God said that you tell them that the water would would produce or the rock would produce water. And he called when he went out in front of them, he called them heathens and, and he struck the rock. And because of that action and rebellion against the people of God, as he depicted God's character to them, and it looked like an angry God, God said, you can't go to the promised land. You can see it, but you cannot cross over. So Joshua was succeeding by the word of God to lead Israel to the promised land. So let's look first at Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at the first three verses initially. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. If you're going through your outline this morning in your bulletin, the number one point is God's promised possession. God's promised possession. So what did Joshua hear at this point? Joshua, I'm calling you to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So in God's call, what is required of Joshua? It's great to hear the call of God, but what is required of Joshua at this moment? As we look at this, he must trust God's promise. He must obey the command. That's pretty straightforward. Anytime we look at God's word, he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. And here's what you must do. It sounds easy. I do this and then I experience what he promised. And that is what happens. But what happens if Joshua hears God's promise based on all of his experience with Israel? He hears God's promise and saying, cross the Jordan and the promised land is yours. You will inherit it. And he believes God said that. He believes God is earnest in his promise, but he does not obey God. What happens then to Joshua? Well, he, he does not cross the Jordan. He does not go into the promised land. And he does not experience God's promise. Now, we can only imagine the anxious thoughts that Joshua must have had. I know that we like to to acknowledge that he is a strong character of a man and that he walked with Moses. But, But don't you think he had some anxious thoughts? He knew the people of Israel. He witnessed their rebellion time and time again. Even in the presence of God, he turned from God or they turned from God. And you can think Moses was was such a great leader. And he might have been whispering to myself, I'm not Moses. I'm not him. 
What if I fail in leading these people? What if they rebel again? What happens to me? We know Joshua needed encouragement. And one way to know, if you've pre-read chapter 1 of Joshua, four times did Joshua get this message. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Four times. So obviously he needed some encouragement to follow God, to obey him. But notice what God did not say in these first three verses. He did not say, Joshua, I want you to cross the Jordan. I want you to fight for the promised land. And I want you to do your best in leading these people. See, the victory was not dependent on Joshua's experience or his training. The promise of God already gave the victory. God was just inviting Joshua to experience it. Aren't you thankful that the victory is not dependent upon you and me? We just trust the word of God, the promise of God. And you may sense a parallel here because it's not just in the Old Testament. It's not just Joshua. It's not just the Israelites. We can make a personal application today on the same principle. For you to begin well with God, you must hear his call. You must believe his promise and you must obey. For if you do not obey, you do not cross the Jordan. If you do not obey and follow him, you do not experience the promise that he has offered to you. A couple of weeks ago, we defined repentance. Repentance is a change of behavior that results from a change of mind regarding personal sin and God's righteousness. If you recall, when we talked about repentance, we often kind of put that in the category of feeling sorry for our sin. That's a small part of that equation. We can still feel sorry about our sin and do it all the time. Changing your mind about sin is a whole nother story. And changing your mind about God's righteousness and what he requires of us changes everything. And we know by grace through faith you have been saved. That's Ephesians 2.8. That word faith is not just your gumption. It's not just your desire to do something. That word faith is always tied to God's word. It's believing that God's word is trustworthy and depending on him to see his promise through whatever he said. If he says it, I believe it. And I believe it to such an extent that I, uh, I place my trust in it and I will be a recipient of what he promised. So we depend on God for salvation through Jesus Christ, by faith. Why? Because he promised it. And he said that is the only way. That's why we have faith in him, because we can trust the word of God. We depend on God to teach us his word so that we know how to follow his ways, that we can know his character. Therefore, when Jesus says, repent, our faith in his word requires us to repent. 
Not the way we think we ought to, but the way he said we should. And that is a change of mind about my sin and a change of mind about his righteousness. And he says, repent to receive forgiveness of sins and promised salvation. Well, I guess one question we should ask ourselves today is, have I attempted to um, to gain salvation or to retain salvation in any other way outside of faith? Am I trying to do really good so that God would look at me and say, well done, Steve, you now get salvation? Or am I humbled before God and broken before him because I've changed my mind about what sin is to him and the offense it is to him, the payment it is to him or required of him? Do I change my idea, my mind about his righteousness, that he truly is holy and perfect without sin? And we can't even imagine what that is like. And in doing so, I change my behavior. Joshua's trusting obedience would not cause victory to occur in the promised land. God is not wringing his hands on the other side saying, if you would just come over here, then I could have victory. No. Trusting obedience to what God promised. See, the promise already incorporated the victory. Come across the Jordan and experience my victory. The same is true for you and me. Your obedience is an act of faith to receive the victory that God already declared in his word. So your trusting obedience does not cause salvation. Your trusting obedience is a declaration of what you believe about his word so that you receive that which he has promised already. Number two, Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. God went on to say to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Number two in your outline, God's promised provision. God's promised provision. Joshua, it's not going to be easy. In fact, when you lead these people into enemy territory, you're going to be at war. Now, that's not an encouraging statement for a young leader to hear. Wait a minute. You're leading me into the promised land that we're going to inherit, and now you're saying that I'm going to be at war over there in enemy territory. Well, that, that can cause some reservation. Be strong and courageous, we hear, God said. That would be discouraging unless you believed God's word. It would be discouraging unless you trusted in God's promise. What did God promise? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. See, that's God's promised provision of victory in the enemy territory, the promised land. 
When would Joshua walk faithfully with that promise? When would he experience that promise of victory, the the promise of certainty that no man can stand against you? Is it where he stood or is it where God called him to go? It required faithful obedience. He had to cross the Jordan by faith in order to receive that promise. God said, I will not leave you or forsake you. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? I will not leave you or forsake you. We say that to each other. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And we hear it through the New Testament that he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And that's a good place to be. And it's a comforting thought for Joshua as he's considering what's on the other side. Because wouldn't it be terrible for God to place you in enemy territory, put you in a war, and then back off and say good luck? But that's not what he did, is it? When would Joshua walk faithfully in that security that God would never leave him or forsake him? After he crossed the Jordan by faith, trusting God's promise. God said, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the promised land. In other words, be resolved, be victorious as you lead these people into the land I already gave them. They just need to receive it. On what basis would Joshua lead God's people into victory? By faith. Joshua must trust God's word, trust his promised provision for the promised possession. That's the certainty he had to move forward, being strong and courageous after he crossed the Jordan. Likewise, God promised to give his guarantee to his children through the Holy Spirit the guarantee of salvation. That his, that's his promised provision for you and me today. The Holy Spirit gives us an understanding of God's will. The Holy Spirit guides the Lord's church. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. The Holy Spirit causes us to remember the things that God has said in his word. The Holy Spirit helps us navigate new waters when we're uncertain or when we are frightened. God helps us to give gifts to each other, to serve his church. The Holy Spirit harvests his spiritual gifts through his people. That is the gift of God to us. It's a promise. But when do we experience God's promised provision of the Holy Spirit? After we have trusted his word by faith. After we have repented And turn to him. After that, we receive his promised possession along with his provision. And that is salvation and the Holy Spirit as the guarantee to walk with us through this life. Do you remember when the the priests were going to take the Ark of the Covenant across the high waters of the Jordan? Do you remember that? They were standing at the edge and God said, when you enter, I will stop 
the river. Do you remember that? Think, just think for a moment. If it was you standing at the edge, holding the Ark of the Covenant, that if anyone touched it, they died. The power of God, the presence of God sitting on your shoulder. And God said, I want you to step in the water first and then I will stop the water. What's he asking for here? Faith. Trust my promise. I said I'll stop it. I can't imagine being the first one holding the ark at the water's edge. Dip my toe in. Is that enough? Well, it didn't stop. Okay, I'll go up to my ankles. Is that enough? Didn't stop. We've got to go all in. See, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? Are we playing a game with him and saying, God, I'll follow you wherever you go, but I'm going to go right here and see if you're really going to stick to your word. I want to see if you're really going to hold that promise. I want to see if I I receive a blessing upon putting my toe into the water. Now, see, God is calling you to come all in. He said, trust my word by faith. Do you trust me? Because if you do, you will come and come all the way. And that we must do. Number three, Joshua chapter one, verses seven through 10. This is God continuing speaking. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So number three in your outline, God's promised prescription. His promised prescription. The prescription is, here's what you must do to receive what I promised. Nevertheless, Joshua, be strong and exceedingly courageous. God warned Joshua that he must be diligent in following him. This is God's word. Be diligent in following what I say. But how will Joshua be strong and courageous? It's great to encourage someone. And my first thought was, this is not an encouraging word to help someone get over a difficult time. If you're afraid to jump off the diving board, that's not what this means. Come on, you can do it. Just jump into the water. You can make it. That's not what that's referring to. Be strong and courageous. That is being careful to do what God says, not turning from the left and the right. That's how you're strong and courageous. Not by the encouragement of of people around you, but doing what God said and, and trusting in his word. That's how you're encouraged. That's how you're strengthened to move forward. Not turning from it to the left or right. See, if we're going to depend on God for his promises, 
We must do what he says so that we might be in the place of his promise. You can't stand on one side of the Jordan and he says to cross it. You can't stand where you are and experience the promise over there. He's saying, come to me and experience the promise that I have for you. So we must do what he says to experience his provision. In these verses, God told Joshua how to have success. Well, we could write a book on that. There are many books already. Help yourself. You can do better. Be the best you. Help yourself be successful. Well, God tells us right here, how can we assure success? And God said this, listen to me and do what I say. Well, that's a short book. I don't think anyone's going to buy that. Listen to God and do what he says. The promise of God already has the victory. The promise of God is the success. When we follow God by faith, we experience his victory and his glory, which is already declared in his word as the promise. We're not adding anything here. Not only must Joshua do what God taught, but he must keep talking about it to other people. You know, there's, you've, you've, you may have said this, and I know I've said it in my, in my past. When we talk about sharing the gospel with other people, you, you might say, well, I'm just going to let my life be the testimony to other people. Well, that's beautiful. Now, if they follow you everywhere, will it be a good testimony? Probably not, because you are like me, and we fail, don't we? God says, tell people. Tell people your testimony. Tell people the gospel. We speak that to each other, and we must speak it to each other. We must speak it to the ones in the darkness still, the one who does not follow God. They, they need to hear who God is and what the good news is all about. Meditate on it day and night. Are we doing that? Uh, it's easy to do that right now because we have our Bibles open. We're all here together for this purpose, to hear from God. That's a good place to be. But are we doing this as we go? As we leave this place, as we go about our business and school and work and retirement and wherever your journey takes you throughout the week, are we meditating on God's word and what he has taught us already? It said, then Joshua's way will be prosperous with good success. Now, let's just put that back into context so we don't walk away with crazy ideas. God promised his people, a fruitful land. God promised success over God's enemies in that land. He's not promising personal wealth. He's not promising worldly success. And you're going to hear that misappropriated today, and it might sound something like this. God wants you to be wealthy And successful where you are. Well, that's a great sentiment. And I agree with that statement, but only in the way God intended it. 
not in the way man twists it. So how does God intend it? First, if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been adopted into the king of heaven. You're you're now part of the family of God. If you have been adopted into the family of God, Scripture says you are a co-heir with Jesus. Talk about wealth, my heavens. Not what we have down here, but what we have for eternity. That's an eternal promise. Second, when you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have success over death and over sin. That is an eternal victory that we experience. Why do we need to twist that in any other way? Why do we need to apply that to our lives here saying, well, God wants me to be rich, does he? How how well are you doing right now? Are you a good steward with what he's given you already? Why do you think more would make it better? Well, instead of believing that God wants you to have more of the world in your life, why not believe that Jesus is sufficient? Why not believe that the glory of God and his promise is sure? That's our success. That's our victory. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. The next line is, do not be terrified. Do not be destroyed. Why would he say that? Well, strong and courageous is tied to the command of come with me. If you don't come with me, you will be terrified. You will be destroyed because you're staying on the wrong side of the river. Do not depart from me in my word. Because when you depart from God's word, you then have fear. You have uncertainty. You have despair. Don't depart from God's word. So how can Joshua have the courage to make this journey across the river? Well, God said, wherever you go, I'll be there. That's on the other side of the Jordan. How does Joshua have certainty in that journey? He must, by faith, believe God's word. And he must do what God says to be in the place of the promise, to experience what God has said. For the church today to experience God's promise and provision, we must seek him in prayer. Not what we think would be good. Not what others have done. But what is God speaking to us? Seek him in prayer. What is God saying? And then we continually speak his word to each other as encouragement and to the populace around us so they can hear of the goodness of God. And we do what he says. To begin well, we must courageously follow where he leads, knowing that Jesus is our victory and his glory is our success. There should be nothing else on our radar because it truly is all about him. It's his church. It's his salvation that he's extended to you and me. And if we have received that, we can now worship him and we can follow him with courage and strength. 
Now, if you're just committed to gather and learn, but not do what he says, Jesus said in Revelation 2, he'll remove the power of your witness. He'll remove the lampstand. You won't be effective in ministry. And you're not going to be a whole lot of use to the world around you here. There will be no change in the church if there is no change in you. There will be no revival if there is no revival in you. We each have a personal responsibility as we look to God's word and we hear God's word. What he says to me today might not be the same thing that he says to you today, but ultimately we must respond to what he says. That's how we move forward. That's how we walk closer. That's how we experience the promise of God today. We cannot go with God and stay where we are. We've got to be willing to trust him in what he says. So will you by faith cross the Jordan? <laughs> will you cross the Jordan and experience the promise possession? Will you cross the Jordan and experience the promise provision? I will be with you wherever you go. I will not leave you or forsake you on the other side of the Jordan. Will you go there? Not just putting your toes in, but will you go all in? Perhaps as you've listened to God's word this morning, maybe it's just that you don't have the peace about salvation. Something is not sitting right. You hear God's word, you've heard God's word, you know the gospel, but something is not sitting right. You believe what God says about salvation and you believe that that he has provided for salvation in exactly the way that he said, through Jesus Christ alone, through his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he now extends that free gift of eternal life to you. But you've not experienced the change that he promised would happen. I want you to think about that. Regardless of what you think, happened in the past, have you experienced the change that God promised would happen if you're his? And, and here's where we are right now. I believe what he said. I trust what he says, but maybe you did not step out where he called you to step out. And that can be done this morning. Turning to God by faith, changing your mind about sin, changing your mind about his righteousness. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That word for born again, we could translate it as regeneration. You must be regenerated to be born again. You must be regenerated to receive salvation, or that is a result of salvation. See, there's something that occurs at salvation by the power of God in you. And it changes the rest of your life. The very provision that God promised you in salvation begins happening at salvation. If you have not been changed, you cannot have certainty about salvation because it does not line up with God's word. And maybe this morning, it's just nailing this down. What I thought I had, I'm not sure. But I want to be sure today. 
And it starts with a confession, doesn't it? The confession is simply this. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. There's not enough good in me to do uh, on my own. There's not enough good for me to be welcomed into the kingdom of God that is perfect and righteous and holy. And so I come before God and I just bow before him and say, I need a Savior and I need Jesus. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about his righteousness. Turn from your way of doing things and turn to him. That's repentance. And when you do that, God makes a promise to you that you receive the salvation that he promises. The provision that he has in the Holy Spirit will be yours. The guarantee. Will you come by faith this morning? It requires a response. Anytime we hear God's word, we, we have to respond. When Joshua talked to the Israelites way back when he was a spy, he said, it's ours. Only do not rebel against God. So rebellion against God is not obeying what he says. Whatever it is to you right now, if you're not obeying, you are rebelling And in your rebellion, you do not walk closer with him. You do not experience the change that he has for you. So would we do that today? I want to ask Ryan and Mike to come up. Lead us in a time of response. And and in that time, this is your opportunity to respond to God. What is he leading you to do this morning? If it's for salvation, just come let us know. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. And let us walk with you in that journey. And it may be that as the church, that you've not trusted God. And you want to experience the promise that he has for us. It might require you to lay down something. It might require a change of mind. But he's asking you right now, will you come by faith in doing what I've asked? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come to you. And and we come in humility, and we are weak. Sometimes we're fearful. We say that we believe your word, but when it comes down to it, it sure is hard to take that step. I pray that you would give us the courage to do what you are requiring of us right now. I'm thankful for your promise. I'm thankful that it's true. I'm thankful that that. What you say is absolute. May we experience you this morning and your promise as we come to you by faith right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.